Oh, good morning, everybody. I, I am like a little kid at Christmas right now because I've been like so excited about having Stephen Williford come into town. He got in yesterday, uh, and not only did he get in, I'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, in the back, a uh, bunch of you have already met Lieutenant Lou. Lieutenant Lou, you give everybody a wave. So he was here for the armed intruder training we did, and that huge mammoth of a man beside him is uh, Ted Daniels. Ted, you give him a give him a big wave. Ted is also running for Congress, and he's going to be one of our uh, one of our speakers at our conference tomorrow. Purple Heart recipient. So how about a round of applause for both of those guys? But today, it's all about our good friend Stephen Williford. Some of you know a little bit of his story, but uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas. And what I want to say is I'm going to let him tell the story, but I, I do want to say that he was in Alaska last week. And if you ask him how far north, he'll get very descriptive of how far north he was and give you city names. But what I'm going to tell you is he was actually at the North Pole because his favorite thing to do all year is to deliver Christmas presents to children on his Harley at Christmas time. So he's making his transition to be Santa Claus. How about a very nice Smith Corner welcome for my good friend, Stephen Williford. Thank you guys so much for having me here. It's just such an honor and a blessing. Uh, first, I, I guess I would want to reference uh, Nehemiah 4.14, uh, and, and this is important to me. As Nehemiah was in charge to build the wall, to rebuild the wall. Without a, without a wall, the city would be unprotected. And Nehemiah looked at, and Nehemiah 4.14 says, And I looked at the people and the nobles, and I told them, Trust in the Lord your God who is awesome. Do not be afraid of them. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And I guess that's kind of the theme of what happened in Sutherland Springs. I don't know how many of you know the story, uh, but it was uh, a life-changing story. Uh, on November 5th, 2017, I was home. and I don't believe in any coincidences at all. There's a reason for everything. And I didn't, I normally attended a church about 60 miles from where I lived, but I stayed home that day because I was gonna start my on-call at the hospital. And I'm an emergency plumber. And people say, what's an emergency plumber? And if you've got three inches of sewer water running down a uh, corridor at the hospital, that's an emergency plumbing issue. <laughs> So I was going to stay home that day and try to get some rest because I knew that I'd be working a lot of hours. It wasn't meant to happen. Um, my daughter, who was 26 years old at the time, came into my room. She was staying with us because she was engaged to be married and she was going to live with us instead of paying for apartment rent until she got married. And so she was doing the dishes. We make her do things if she's staying with us. <laughs> So she was staying with us and doing dishes, and she came into my bedroom and said, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire to you? And, you know, I've been an NRA instructor for a number of years and stuff. I know very much what gunfire sounds like, but it, uh, your mind tends to not 
recognize something out of the normal. And I said, it sounds like someone tapping at my window. And I went and opened the window, and I didn't see anything. She said, come into the kitchen. It sounds like gunfire. I went into the kitchen, and I told her right away, it's gunfire. I ran to my safe, and she ran out the door, jumped in her car, and drove around the corner to see what was going on. And I grabbed a rifle out of the safe, I grabbed a magazine, and I grabbed a box of ammunition. I called my wife and I said, where are you at? She said, I'm working on Rachel's house, that was my other daughter. We were building her house five miles down the road. I said, stay where you're at. And, and she said, what's going on? I said, there's someone shooting up the church. And she said, don't go over there, and I hung up on her. The first daughter came running in and said, Dad, there's a guy in black tactical gear shooting up the Baptist church. And I said, did you call 911? She said, I did. And they know about it. They're aware of it. So right away that told me what? Police are coming to an active shooter at the church. And I'm loading a rifle and running out the door. If they see me, what are they going to think? They're going to think I'm the active shooter. I didn't take time to put my shoes on because I just kept hearing those shots. And I knew every one of those shots would be aimed at one of my, my neighbors, one of my friends. And as I ran out the door, the Holy Spirit took over me, and I believe that uh, my mind was thinking 110% clear. I ran out the door, my daughter followed me out the door, and I didn't want her coming over. And I told her, I said, go back in the house, load another magazine. I only have a handful of ammunition. And there's no telling what he has. I knew she couldn't load a magazine and run across the street and give it to me. I sent her back in the house to do busy work. She told me later, really, Dad, that was busy work? I said, it's just because I love you so much, baby. I didn't want you coming across the street. I didn't want him having another target that I cared so deeply about. I didn't want to have to worry about you. And if I failed, you would have run to my side and you would have been his next target. David and Goliath. People don't really teach that story really, really well. Usually when you hear about David and Goliath, you hear about the little shepherd boy that took on the big giant and won. I'm going to tell you there's a little bit more to that story if you look it up. David was a shepherd boy, okay. And people have gone back and they go to countries where they still use slingshots to protect their flocks. And they call them slingers. These guys can hit a running wolf running through their sheep with a rock from a slingshot. And scientists have carnographed those rocks, and they're slinging rocks at 900 foot per second. That's as fast as a 45 out of the muzzle of a pistol. David, what did David tell, tell Saul? Said, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, I'll bring you this Philistine's head on a platter. It was all about training for David. He knew what he was capable of. 
Saul said, take my armor. He said, no, it's too big and bulky. He couldn't sling that arm with all that armor on. David knew he wasn't going to get close to Goliath. As I ran across the street, all of my training kicked in, and the Holy Spirit cried out halfways over there. And I, why would you, why would you yell out? I didn't yell out. That's, that gives away all your tactical advantage. He knew I was coming. But what he was doing is he was shooting people, and when they went down, he would walk over and finish them off at close range. He had just shot Chris Workman in the back. Chris went down. Chris is now paralyzed from the waist down. He shot Julie Workman through the breast, and he was walking over to finish them, and they heard me yell, and he heard me yell. And he came out of the church. <clears throat> when Jesus walked into the garden, the two possessed men saw him and said, We know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? And Jesus commanded the demons to leave and run into the hogs, and they ran over the edge and died. I believe it was that same voice that cried out from me that called the demon out that was in that man that day. And he had no choice but to answer God's call at that moment and come out. He came out of the church and he was firing at me. And he hit the truck in front of me. And he hit the car behind me. And he hit the house behind me. And the Holy Spirit told me, he said, don't worry about those. Do what you came here to do. And he hit everywhere around me. And he had on class three body armor. For, for you guys that don't know what class three body armor is, class two body armor is what police carry and they will stop pistol bullets. Class three body armor stops rifle bullets. And I hit him in the left chest, I hit him in the abdomen. And I know that because the coroner's report said he had contusions there. And he stopped shooting at me at that moment. He turned to his side, and I hit him in the side between the plates. Has a plate on the front, plate on the back, Velcro's across the side. I hit him in the side. I hit him high in the legs. He got in his vehicle, and he put two more rounds through the side window. And I saw those holes open up in the glass falling. I put one where I couldn't see through the reflection of the window. I put one more shot through where I perceived his head would be, and there was an abrasion across his forehead. He had on a tactical bulletproof helmet also. He sped off and ran down the street at a, as fast as he could away from me. I ran out into the middle of the street, and I put one more shot through the back window. The police say it entered through the back window, went through the driver's side seat, and hit him just right of the left shoulder blade. People said, wow, what an amazing feat of shooting. I believe God directed those bullets. And I'm thinking as he's running down the road, he's getting away, he's getting away. How can I let him get away? And I looked to my right, and there was a pickup truck that had sat there at the stop sign and witnessed the whole thing. I didn't even know the man's name. I went, ran over, and I tapped on his window. And I said, that man just shot up the Baptist church, and we have to stop him. Every sane person in this world would have just accelerated the gas and run on. But this is Texas we're talking about. We're not known for our sanity. 
Next thing I heard was the locks come open and I climbed up in the cab of the truck with a long, tall, thin Texan with a western hat, a longhorn tattooed here with the horns running up under his ears and a toothpick hanging out of his mouth. And he's talking to 911 and they put him straight through to dispatch. I didn't say another word, I shut the door and he took off and we were flying down the road over 95 miles per hour. And he's talking to dispatch, telling them where we were. I dropped the magazine out of my rifle because I didn't even know how many bullets I had put in it. And I look and I've got one round in the top, one round in the chamber, I've got two rounds left. And he still has on class three body armor. And everything I can think of is that when this stops, there's gonna be another shootout. And I looked at him and I said, tell them Hurry, hurry, only have two rounds left. And we're flying down the road. We couldn't even see him at the moment because he had got such a head start on us. And dispatch is asking, where are you at? Where are you at? And we would go across the crossroads. And then I saw him in the distance and we were catching up to him. And, and I could tell it was him. He was in a gray SUV with a window, back window was shot out. And I looked over and I didn't know the guy's name. I said, hey, you know, if we catch him, you're gonna have to put him off the road. And Johnny's sitting back just like any Texan, both hands just kind of leaning back, toothpick hanging out of his mouth. He said, yep, I already figured that. <laughs> like, okay, who am I riding with? <laughs> so I, we finally started catching up with him and I'm thinking, okay, there, I must have hit hit him well in a few shots because he's slowing down. And he pulled over to the side of the road into the bar ditch in front of a road sign and he stopped. And we pulled up in behind him at about that angle and Johnny stopped. And I reached down, I grabbed the door handle and opened the door with the rifle still in my right hand and I was gonna stand behind the door and use it for cover. And before my foot hit the pavement, he accelerated, he hit the sign, it flipped over the, the vehicle, and he went right back up on the road, and we got in behind him again. And he went about three quarters of a mile up the road, around a curve, and then over the top of the curve, and through a fence, and out into a field, and stopped again. And I told Johnny, I said, just get down below the dash. Just, just stay down. And I got out, and this time put the rifle over the, the hood of the truck, and I could see his vehicle out there and, and waited and yelling, get out of the truck, get out of the... Waited from five to seven minutes. That's an eternity. Finally, I heard a police officer say, driver, get out of the vehicle with your hands up. And I turned and looked up the road and about 50 yards up the road, there was an officer standing behind his door. In his right hand, he had a pistol and in his left hand, he had a microphone. And he said it again, driver, get out of the vehicle with your hands up. Me, I, I don't want any mistakes at this point. So I laid the rifle on the hood of the truck and I came back to the back of the truck with my hands up. And that officer made eye contact with me and he looked at me, he said, not you. Okay, I ran back over, picked up my rifle, and, and I told Johnny, stay down below the dash, and, and uh, of course, Johnny's a millennial. 
He didn't do that. He got out, he was videoing me. I'm like, really? <laughs> Back at the church, this guy had murdered 26 people. Had murdered 26 of my neighbors and had wounded 20 more. Only seven people walked out of that church without a bullet hole in them. That church was a whole lot like this one. But what my real point to this is, I, I guess if I have a theme, I always call the theme, when God calls you, answer. People say, well, you know, when God calls, you could say no, and I tell them, I don't want to end up in the belly of a fish. I know how that goes. <laughs> but God called when the shooter was gone. God called Julie Workman, which I had just referenced, that she'd been shot through the breast. God, she was an emergency room nurse. God called her bleeding from her own wounds to get up and start tying tourniquets. She had what she would bring from the emergency room, what she called Julie rags. She would bring rags that were left over from the emergency rooms and stuff, and she would bring them to the church and wipe the little kid's snotty nose or whatever. And they were all over the church. That day, Julie was using Julie rags to tie tourniquets and save people in the church. Her son, still laying on the, on the ground, unable to move his legs, and she started tying tourniquets and saving the people in the church. God called Zach Poston's grandmother. Zach Poston got shot eight times in the church. And as he was getting shot, Jack, Zach's grandmother climbed over the top of Zach and paid with her life and saved Zach. God called Gunny Macias. Nobody seems to know Gunny's real name. They just call him Gunny Macias. He's an old, retired gunnery sergeant from the Marines. Hoorah. Gunny, first thing that happened, started barking orders. He was shot five times in the abdomen. He couldn't stand. But he started barking orders, telling people what they needed to do to save themselves and then yelled out two times really loud, hallelujah, hallelujah, even in this, praise God, hallelujah. And then a little seven-year-old girl came up to Gunny and said, Gunny, I'm scared. And Gunny started singing, Jesus loves me with her. Amen? What a man. God called Johnny. They just witnessed a shootout to open the door and let me in and chase a maniac down the road at over, 70, or over 95 miles per hour. He didn't even know me, but he stepped up and he did it. God called Hank Farnett, first police officer on the scene. And, you know, I, I tell people, you know, my wife said, you know, he looks like he's 12 years old. I said, oh, come on, Pam, he looks like he's at least 15. <laughs> this young police officer 
God called him because he carried tourniquet kits and first aid kits in his squad car for years out of his own pocket. The department didn't pay for him. And, and his fellow officers would say, what, are you planning on a mass shooting? And Hank would always say, you just never know my, what might happen. Never don't. And, and so at that moment, when he ran into the church, he realized the shooter was gone. He ran back out to his car, and he opened up the trunk and started handing out first aid kits and tourniquet kits. No one else had them. He was prepared, and God called him. God called the hospital that I work for, University Hospital in San Antonio, one of two level one trauma centers in San Antonio. They were having a drill that Sunday, and they required all the doctors and nurses be on hand for the drill that they were having on Sunday. And all the nurses were complaining, why are you having a drill on a Sunday when we could be going to church with our families? Why are you having a drill? Any other time we could understand it, but why on a Sunday? And then the call came out. They were able to get all 20 ORs up and running before the first victim ever came in. And if you can't see God's hand in this, you're not looking. You're blind and you don't want to see it. Everything, that all four of the men that normally carried a gun at that church on that day, the pastor was in Oklahoma City taking a black powder shooting course so he could train the kids black powder shooting at summer camp. Rod Green, an ex-military Vietnam vet, that normally carried, showed up late that day because he had to feed his cattle. One of the men gave his pistol to his wife because she was going on a road trip and he didn't want her to be without protection. And the other man was late. And no coincidences, like, like Satan said, now's the day everybody that could stop him is gone. Now's the day I, I attack. And God said, but you forgot about my servant, Stephen. And he sent me across the road to fight a battle that I never thought that I would ever be fighting. As an NRA instructor and a comp competition pistol shooter for 20-odd for years, and I taught self-defense classes for 20-odd years, why was I there that day? Because none of this took God by surprise. When God calls, and I'm not saying that he's going to call you to grab a rifle and run across the street and defend someone. He might call you to have a tourniquet kit in your car when you see an accident and save a life. That's much more likely to happen. We have a safety response team at our church now and uh <coughs> excuse me we took stop the bleed training we took first aid training we took cpr training and we took defibrillator training because those things are more likely to be used some kid on the playground cuts his arm open swinging off of a swing or something we know how to 
tie tourniquets. We know how to stop bleeding. We know how to do things. That's more likely what God's going to call you for. God called 26 people home that day, and they were all Christians. And they woke up in the arms of Jesus that day. We're the, we're the sad ones. We're the ones that will miss them, but they wouldn't come back if they could. God called them home today, that day. God called a lot of people that day, and God calls you to do everything, to do things. And you may, may never know what's coming, but always be ready to answer God's call. Thank you very much.